and welcome back to the Brothers Book Club Podcast. We're here today with another book review episode in our series on the Penguin Little Black Classics collection. This is episode 66 of that collection. It will be on A Pair of Silk Stockings, which is the title of the collection. It's a short story compilation by Kate Chopin, an American author. As I mentioned, we are deep into the Penguin Little Black Classics review set. This is a collection of 80 works of world literature that Penguin has assembled, and we are here on this pod, at least for now, to review and recommend all of them, or sometimes not recommend. Recommend avoidance. <laughs> that happens. <laughs> it happens more often than we'd like. Yes. <laughs> joining, yeah, joining me today on the other end is co-host Amanda. Welcome back, Amanda. Thank you. Thank you for bringing your ponderings to this podcast today. <laughs> You're welcome. Uh, as I mentioned, the author today is Kate Chopin. We're back in America, or were we in America last week? See, this week-to-week thing, man, we, and we record on a pretty quick pace. You'd think I'd remember. What yeah. was last week? That's a good question. <laughs> Great question. I know, and I'm not even going to bother to look it up. Something happened. It, they come so quickly that it's, you know, you'd think it'd leave more of an impression. It was the um, the Magellan stuff, the... Um... The travel logs. Oh, the traveling. That was definitely British. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah, 100% Hacklit. British. So we're back. <laughs> yeah, the Hacklute. We're back in America, and we're jumping ahead in time by about 300 years plus. So definitely adds to the readability of it all. Let's dig in. Before we start the review process, we have begun a new tradition on these reviews, which is to start with some simple questions just to frame this in case you're coming in cold and have not read this, which for a review, that makes a lot of sense. We're going to just answer the who, what, and why questions of this collection. Amanda, who is Kate Chopin? Uh, Kate Chopin was, uh, is best known, I suppose, for her novel, The Awakening, and it's uh, a commonly taught novel in high schools. So mm-hmm. I know I first encountered that in high school as well. Um, and she was uh, someone who married um, into the Louisiana lifestyle and kind of in order to support herself after her husband died and her six kids. Yeah. Six kids. Uh, <laughs> a lot of mouths. She, yeah. She decided to turn to writing, but uh, unfortunately she didn't actually make a whole bunch of money since her writing mm-hmm. was too progressive for her time. Oh, okay. Then I, yeah. gosh, I would have known that when I studied her, but I didn't even realize that now that she was yeah. an unknown kind of uncelebrated author in her day. She's certainly famous now. She's been canonized. For sure. What is in this collection, you may be wondering, listener? It was five short stories. So it was basically all short fiction, but some of them really short. Like probably if you printed it on a like a regular eight and a half by 11, like a couple pages, maybe pretty brief. And they all take place in Louisiana or new, near New Orleans, which is probably where she lived. I didn't look that up. Yeah, New Orleans. Okay. Yeah, Yeah, the New Orleans area. Uh, A lot of it has to do with Creole language and culture. So there's a lot of French interaction along with that race is a huge issue in her work because in that part of the world, the Creole designation is a big deal in the way those cultures blended and kind of the the mixing pot experiment of Louisiana is predominant in the work. So it's it's not on each of the stories. She also, as you mentioned, um, has a clear feminist thread and that progressive... Mm -hmm tint in her work is probably what held her back, as you mentioned. So that makes a lot of sense. Uh, Why, Amanda, should we have read this? Why do you think Penguin chose it? Um, She's considered one of America's uh, pioneer feminist writers. Even though she didn't consider herself a feminist, um, she considered herself an individualist that 
essentially means, you know, she was a feminist where she was saying that people are created equal and it's not just Mm -hmm. women, but everyone. (laughs) Right. Right. Yeah. And I think I, again, this is lack of my lack of academic background in this hopefully won't bite me. Won't get any mean spirited listener emails in, but I feel like her, her views on race would have also been progressive at the time. At least that's how this, this reminded me of that as I was reading them at, it reawoken in me memories of reading and studying her work. And I think that's a kind of a predominant theme across it. And mm-hmm. it's something she also had pretty progressive views about. Yeah. I think that she was a champion of all, um, all people who were marginalized. So she, yeah. she didn't consider herself that, but she was just giving insights into what she was witnessing um, at the time. But her yeah. stories, I think kind of belie that. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I could see it. Well, th- with that established, let's jump into the actual review process here. We have a rigorous and scientific one. Uh, let's start with the first part, the one-sentence simile review. Well, it's structured anyway. I'd call that a science. Uh, we've got it down here to a formula. Let's let's put in the data, and then we'll get a result at the end. Um, test our hypotheses. Uh, what is your one-sentence simile review of this book, Amanda? I said, uh, reading the stories is like going to your favorite relatively unknown band's concert um, where everybody is really into what they're hearing and seeing and you feel a sense of uh, community and you feel like you're just a part of your one aspect of something that's like bigger and you just feel enveloped by that. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, yeah, it's something that you normally, it's something that you take that is normally quite lonely and then you very suddenly transform it into a communal thing. You mean kind of yeah, like that? Exactly. Is that your perspective because you hadn't read her a lot before or something or what, what is that? How did, where does that come from? Well, I've uh, read a few of her uh, short stories and I read the awakening of course. Um, but it was just the, what I was t- uh, kind of referring to there for me in particular was the aspect of the, the marginalization. And so you, uh, as somebody who is, uh, a woman and also a minority as far as like race and stuff like that. I, um, I really embrace stories that kind of highlight that, but in a way that, um, makes it seem like I'm trying to say it in an, in a way that, uh, so some stories when it comes to, um, minorities can be complete, like downers and stuff like that. And it just leaves you feeling really depressed and you feel even more kind of marginalized at the end of it as somebody who is um, a minority. Right. But then this story, even though like, you know, it's not necessarily like uh, happy endings, the, the way that she tells the story, it's a little bit more, I feel like almost uplifting for me. And it's more of, it doesn't feel quite as isolating to me okay i could see that the characters are they're kind of a well-realized and welcoming bunch they've got a bit of even the one in the um the creole story in that in the title it's like what is that neige creole something like that there's a lot of accents i'm going to mispronounce talk about an all-timer for mispronunciations that is coming up this i will (laughs) undoubtedly mispronounce more words this episode than ever before there's Mm -hmm. almost no doubt but in that story, the, the main character could be pitied, but her writing does not pity him per se. So right. I think exactly. yeah, I can see it's pretty wholesome or holistic, man. Not wholesome, but holistic. Right. 
Yeah, I didn't have a one cent similar review here, and I was hoping I could freestyle one. I will say this. I had a failed one. I guess I'll throw it out there. I initially wrote that it was sort of like a really funny buildup joke, and then the punchline just doesn't come, mm. which just didn't make sense the more I thought about it because the twists in these stories work very well, and they're yeah. pretty quite clear and built up too well. I think to me it was more of the – some of them felt very limp, so that's why the analogy didn't quite hold. That's why I deleted this simile. Just because the endings, I think, all play out perfectly well. But there were two of the stories out of the five that felt to me, I don't know, the ending was just rather dull. And so I just, anyway, but that, that means three of them I thought were pretty great. So at any rate, yeah. that's what my simile was going to be. I don't think it held up. I'm going to have to just abort that one. But yours was pretty good. <laughs> oh, I thought thanks. yours, yeah, yeah. Yours is much more personal than mine. Hey, and sometimes there's lessons to learn in failure. I don't mind sharing my failed simile. So. Yeah, that's good. There you go. <laughs> let's uh, let's make some connections to 2020. I'll start with mine as it is a shameless plug. I think that we've been covering throughout this year starting, I don't know, a few months ago. We've been trying to do one book club episode a month. That's an analytical deep dive episode on a book by a black American writer, an author, featuring those issues. It's sort of a, in support of uh, social unrest in the country, Black Lives Matter protests, things like that. That was That is our ongoing sort of contribution, very light contribution, but it's what we can do on the pod. At any rate, so I think that connects well to those because, again, it's clear that issues of race and status and how your social status can be upended or determined by your race or family background. It's that's a dominant theme in even these stories. And so, you know, that it reminded me that these issues in American life are certainly not fresh, not that we need a reminder. Yep. How about you, Amanda? What'd you find to connect to? Uh, that was pretty much the same thing that yeah. um, I said. Yeah. It's if, if you feel like, life is unfair because of your skin color or because of your sexuality or because of your um, gender, blah, 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 all these things, then this, these stories I think will definitely uh, hit home for you in a lot of ways. For sure. I'm going to ignore that you just blah, 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 all of those I issues. I didn't mean it but, that yeah. way, but <laughs> <laughs> you know, the, I thought it was et cetera, funny, et cetera. There you go. You can edit that. It in. is. No, I think, <laughs> The blah, blah, blahing is really just, it is a sign. It is indicative of the times that because you are constantly berated and just swamped by waves of issue, every day is a new catastrophe. So, mm -hmm. I, you know, the blah, blah, blahing, it's more out of just a mood of defeat than, <laughs> although I don't, yeah, maybe that's too harsh, but I, I get it. I, I certainly was just poking at it. Yeah, I thought that was, <laughs> I, I get the feeling. I understand what you mean. It's hard to keep your head above water when, um. There are many things to pull you under, so to speak. Yeah, I so, certainly didn't anyway, mean to. Uh, it was fun. Yeah, I yeah. thought it was funny. And also, it's late, y'all. We record these sometimes at night, and um, you got to blah, blah, blah your way through the pod. Here we go. Right. Kate Especially Chopin, if you're let's do drinking this. pina coladas while you're doing it. So It's the only way to late night pod. <laughs> it's, uh, there was a lot of behind the scenes in this episode, but we don't mind showing you the production process. <laughs> it's very, as we've mentioned at the end, it's a very scientific work happening here on the pod. Right. And yeah, we don't mind you know peeling the production curtains back a little bit, showing a little glimpse. So that's the action you can expect. Let's jump into our quotes for clarification section. This is the deepest dive in the review where we try and look at some specific analytical parts or um, analyze rather some parts of the style and writing. Do you have a quote you feel strongly about, Amanda, you want to start with today? Uh, sure. 
Uh, let's see here. Uh, one, so I pulled two very positive uh, things about her writing. So I'll start with the first mm-hmm. one. Um, it comes from the short story Desiree. And it says, the passion that awoke in him that day when he saw her at the gate swept along like an avalanche or like a prairie fire or like anything that drives headlong over all obstacles. And then later in the story, it's um, describing his home, um, the dude's home. Well, I forgot what his name is, but uh, mm-hmm. the guy who marries Desiree. I'm certainly uh, not going to remember. Don't, don't ever <laughs> turn to me for names. Any longtime listener will know that that is that is a tough ask for me. That's I think yeah. his name is like Armand or something. Okay, anyway. sure. The guy who you know throws tosses her out. Yeah, uh, yep, just call him right. Mon- Mon- <laughs> Monsieur, Mon- Monsieur, Monsieur, Monsieur. <laughs> yeah, Armand. Um, so later, his house is described as the roof came down steep and black like a cowl. Big solemn oaks grew close to it, and their thick-leaved, far-reaching branches shadowed it shadowed it like a pall. Um, so what I liked about this, and it's actually something that she um, kind of interweaves throughout the entire story, these images is that she's creating tone and foreshadowing um, by creating these subtle images and using these similes and metaphors. And she uses it throughout the entire story. And she does this in each of her stories. She's, I think a master at kind of um, using particular word choices and images in order to really highlight um, an atmosphere that she's trying to create a mood that she's creating. Excellent tone work. And it's a great quote for that. I think, I don't know if I found it to be quite as invasive or intensive in tone, but you're right. It has such great pockets. I I was thinking I, I made a comparison there. I didn't finish. I was going to say as compared to, like I'm thinking of Poe, which we did, or Dante. There's just other things in this collection set I feel like has been more in your face. But right. you know, those things are also written. Some of those are like horror, you know. So it's, right. of course, it's going to be more. You know, come in with a stronger hand. No, I think those quotes are excellent. You're right, and symbolically, there's interesting stuff too. It's a lot of this deals with old lineages and stuff, family mm-hmm. blood, and you know, these old big brooding trees. Or it just, I think it overlaps well. There's a yeah. lot of good imagery in that too. A quote I yeah, quite enjoyed. I'll pull a character one then to add on to that. I have a characterization bit I enjoyed. This is from the story of an hour, which is a short story that I think any person schooled in American high schools has probably read because it's so yeah. such a quick hitter. You can teach it in a day and it yep. you know has different elements to extract or analyze. Anyway, this is a bit of characterization. It says, quote, Her fancy was running riot along those days ahead of her, spring days and summer days and all sorts of days that would be her own. She breathed a quick prayer that life might be long. It was only yesterday she had thought with a shudder that life might be long. And so that that little kind of, I don't, it's not juxtaposition, but the the way those two sentences end the same way, but have such profoundly different meanings is a great Mm -hmm. little twist and uh, reveals so much about her characters, you know, internals, you know, what's going, what she's thinking and feeling. I like the references to spring and summer. This just classic archetypal type of work there Mm -hmm. that is easy, easy to read. It doesn't, you know, it's not berating you with something super dense, but it's a nice, gives the right image. It gives the right sort of pleasant idea and tone, like you said, but doesn't berate you with anything. It's just, it's very smooth, capable writing. It just feels enjoyable to, to read something like that. It's good character work. Nice bit of tone, nice bit of imagery. It's um, very well sprinkled or spread. 
Yeah, it you can get so much about this character from just those lines, and and yeah. you really have to with uh, especially that story, the the story of an hour, which is a short short story. Um, right, you really have to to be very careful about the language and and the the stylistic choices because otherwise it becomes. Um, overly dense it becomes something that's just like too heavy with illusions a lot of the time because you're just trying to fit in so much information but i think she does a beautiful job with with writing just in general yeah yeah for sure and they're hardly a i mean that's where i think is very crystalline and it's you know it's rigid structure and how tightly packed together it is in a way mm-hmm. i don't know if all these hold up to that level of that of structural analysis or what what have you but yeah, the, they all feel pretty purposefully and tightly contained. Yeah. Any other quotes? I do have, I guess I think I'm the only one that pulled kind of a negative one then. Do you want me to do that one now? Yeah, go ahead and do your negative. Yeah, because I, there were two stories, like I mentioned, that I didn't react to very strongly. This one is the Neige Creole one. I, th- mm-hmm. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. I don't, there's a lot of words in this one I could not pronounce. Uh, a lot of French influence, <laughs> yeah. I think, creeping in. But that's what I believe the story is um, pronounced as anyway. This story is just establishing the main character. And about him, it says, quote, Upon another theme, he talked freely and harped continuously. For years, he had tried to convince his associates that his master had left a progeny, rich, cultured, powerful, and numerous beyond belief. This prosperous race of beings inhabited the most imposing mansions in the city of New Orleans. Men of note and position, and I'm skipping on purpose, but he goes on to say that there's his master, and then it it says, ladies who came to the market in carriages or whose elegance of attire attracted the attention and admiration of the fish women were all days... Dis to seats cousins. I don't. I'm assuming that just means cousins, second cousin yeah, of his like former that. master, Jean <laughs> Bastur. He never looked for recognition from any of these superior beings, but delighted to discourse by the hour upon. And I'm just going to pause because I. Hopefully, my intonation is reading it. This feels long in the tooth to me. I guess is the mm-hmm. point. Like it. It's you have three consecutive lists, which perhaps is the point. It kind of shows the lineage of it and the exhausting nature of this people caring so much about family history and race and who, who it's breeding stuff like who bred you, you know? And I feel it just felt exhausting to read. Perhaps it's the point we give credit to that kind of construction to, you know, quote unquote, great authors. And we think the way you wrote that reflects something and means something, but a paragraph like that just wears me down. The description felt a bit much. And again, the listing quality of that just kind of graded on me and wore on me. I think it, it does set up clearly that he has these conflicting ideas about his position in the city, his right. social status. But then again, and maybe we'd have to spoil to talk about this. I don't think that idea was that well. It ends up becoming a story of kind of grief and mourning. Maybe I underread some parts of it or underanalyzed the ending or something, but mm-hmm. I just didn't find that idea to pay off. And you know, you have this long at the intro of the story of this long established thing where, okay, something about lineage is going to mean the most in the story. And then it just kind of veered in another direction. So for stories that were otherwise really carefully balanced with no wasted, in fact, no wasted words, almost to the point of, there were some I actually thought could have had a little more, I Mm -hmm. I suppose as part of it too. Like I think Desiree's baby was one where I thought the conflict just was too abruptly done. I don't, didn't remember feeling that when I read that story before, but now when I reread it, I thought this just happens in like a paragraph turn that there's enough hints that that could be an issue, but it just doesn't feel fleshed out mm-hmm. at any rate. I'm rambling now, but that, that quote was just to illustrate, like, I think there, that idea was introduced well, if not a little strong handedly mm-hmm. and just, it didn't, 
I, it just didn't come to fruition in that story to me. It didn't become a dominant idea and to use that many words and such description to have to contend with felt, I don't know, felt a little off. Not, it's not bad though. It's, it was well-written or it was interestingly written. Yeah. I think that this paragraph lacks a lot of the, the subtlety that she uses in, in a lot of her other uh, writing, but I, it's not I, concise. Like some of her writing right. can be. It's not, but uh, I think that it was still an important one because he's harping on the powerfulness of this family and the wealth and the dignity and the, the, um, how much pride they have in themselves and all this stuff, which ties directly to the other character in the story. Um, the, uh, ma- his, the woman he's close to the yeah, mademoiselle. Mademoiselle. Yes. Um, and her diminished circumstances. Right. So it's, I think that it's supposed to be a commentary on the perception that people have of these great families uh, versus like the reality of, of like these families, like, are not actually as magnificent and amazing. Well, and and I wonder too, then I can't believe I'm going to be the one calling for this. Maybe that less subtlety would have done then. I, Cause I'm looking back now and I'm thinking that that certainly could be the, the situation quote unquote of the story. It's like you're, it's a compare and contrast between these two people who, mm-hmm. who live together or he lives above her. Then I'm looking back at a paragraph about, she's talking about how, people below her are fighting there would be slaughter and bloodshed she convinced them that they live for no other purpose than to torture and molest her which it does feed into the she's established as someone who believes in fate that's like her you know she's a she has a issue with the with the fates of delta right but then you know there she kept a bucket of dirty water it, it feels like mired in details i guess is the thing I, there's a specificity to those descriptions that are that come at you really quickly in this story it just felt like it didn't have as much clear transition or breathing room, I suppose. I feel like those ideas got lost for me in that one. In that one, and there was another one I felt that way too, or just by the end of it, for an author who twists so clearly in most of these at the end and has such a clear little tidy way of wrapping things up and putting a putting kind of a final twist in, yeah. that one felt like I got mired in details. It could have just been I wasn't reading it diligently enough, but I don't know. Maybe maybe the status stuff right away put me off, and I did so then I didn't engage like I should have when I was mm. reading it. I'm not sure. but Yeah. yeah. The, it took me, actually, like I when I read the ending, I had to read it again, and then I went mm-hmm. back because I was like, wait a minute. Is this? Wait a minute. And then... I went back and reread what Mademoiselle's actual name is. And then, oh, I, and, you, okay. and then I was like, Oh, Oh. And then it, and then I realized like, okay, so all the details about like how miserable her life is right now is in order to contrast the, the decadence and stuff like that. So it, yeah. it definitely that it was just one line. I had to go back and read one line for it to be like, click and and then mm-hmm. i got it yeah yeah I, I must have underthought that one too he also just felt like the least developed of all that it, it felt like her story that he was for some reason had been the narrator not the narrator but the main character of mm-hmm. it just that story just didn't have the balance I, maybe the dual character thing felt imbalanced to me too mm-hmm. it just didn't feel like I, I didn't his presence was more limp she kind of dominates the story and then dies it's yeah. a spoiler but it's, that's like halfway through the short story in fact so it's not a not too major a one, I don't think, but yeah. at any rate, yeah. So that, 
it didn't that story just didn't click together maybe too many parts maybe i needed something more explicit which feels weird to say is that's usually what we're bemoaning on this pod the most <laughs> but <laughs> it, it could just be that there were some ideas there that could have I could have used a little bit more direct connection on, mm-hmm. or again, I was underthinking it. Um, any final quotes for clarification here, Amanda? Uh, yeah, sure. I have a, a quick one actually from the McKenders one. Mm-hmm. Um, I like that we're actually pulling quotes from like all different stories here. <laughs> yeah, it's um, not not intentional. I don't yeah. think. Yeah. <laughs> um, so uh, to point out something that I like about Chopin is she does a really good job with. Um, her wording and her word choices in that she, it never feels um, cliched to me when she writes. Yeah, so I just yeah. chose um, a quick sentence here. When Miss Georgie McEnders had finished an elaborately simple toilet of gray and black, she divested herself completely of rings, bangles, brooches, everything to suggest that she stood in friendly relations with fortune. I I particularly like that end part, that friendly relations with fortune, which is just an, a different way of saying like, she's wealthy. She's got a lot of money. <laughs> yeah, right, so right. I just thought that was like a nice little turn of phrase. And we and I see several examples of that in, in all the stories, actually. And I just enjoy that. Yeah, I think one, and when you're writing about the topic she seems to prefer to write about, you have to come up with a lot of different innuendo for being rich. Right. (laughs) Society (laughs) and status is the concern. I think it's probably the only concern that showed up in all of them. No, the story of an hour doesn't really have that, though. Right. Yeah. Yeah, close, though. The story of an hour is just also such a. It almost felt divergent from the rest of them. I'm not sure if you felt that way, not only because of its length, but. It felt like its its issue was so one note and not in a negative way, but it just it's like here is the thing you need to think about, and it's pretty clear about that. So it's also like extremely internalized, like just mm-hmm. all the other characters are just like I mean they're off to the side or whatever. It's just about her, right? Yeah, right. Yeah, that's yeah an interesting contrast between them. It would make for a good study. I'd, her short stories have a enough through lines, but then also enough diversity to make for some interesting things to chew on. Let's jump to the literary corner, Amanda. This is the educational part of the pod where we try and inform the listener about some literary device we noticed, hopefully not repeating, though we've repeated in the past. Um, Mine is much weirder than yours. Do you want to go first? Sure. Mine's easy. I I was reading yours and I was like, whoo, I hadn't heard like of that word in that sense. Yeah. Yeah. um, I chose situational irony and we've actually talked about the plot twist, which uh, plot twists are. Yeah. Yeah. Situational irony. (laughs) So it's um, when you have an expectation of an action or an ending, but actually something else happens instead. So everybody knows irony, but there's actually, you know, three different types of irony. And so plot twists are a type of situational irony. And she relies on it in a couple of scenarios too. Yeah. 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 That, I mean, the story of an hour is that you would use that to teach that in school. Exactly. That's like the easiest, most concise way to do it. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah. And it twists the knife the most. Yeah. And it's, and then there's just, so, there. it's almost like it happens twice yeah. in a way. You could argue that her ending is also because it, if how quickly that t- turns back against it in a way. It's, mm-hmm. anyway, interesting. I hadn't thought about that. But yes, it's certainly present. My term came from Penguin, so I went on a bit of a journey. On the back of this classic, <laughs> it says that 
These are five startling stories of awakening by one of Finn de Silice, America's most daring writers. So I can't pronounce that at all. It's French, I think. <laughs> it, I actually know it's French. Um, but it's, yeah, it's spelled oddly. So I looked that up in the Penguin Literary Dictionary, which then it redirected me to decadence, which is a literary concept. Apparently was a big movement in France. This is a big French thing. I don't think this bled over. It even said like a couple English authors like Oscar Wilde picked up on this movement, but it wasn't a, it didn't go international or something, mm-hmm. but it can roughly be disc- used decadence um, quote to describe a period of art or literature, which as compared with the excellence of a former age is in decline. Specifically, the French movement emphasized the autonomy of art, the need for sensationalism and melodrama, egocentricity, the bizarre, the artificial, and having art for art's sake. So kind of when the medium becomes obsessed with itself. Right. The preoccupation with decay and with ruins, with sadness and despair, was also apparent much earlier in France as well. But th- those themes became to the, came to the forefront during their decadence period. I don't think this could be fully categorized as part of that. Like they said, it didn't, it's not like this movement came to America. I think right. when they use it on the back cover, they literally just meant that she wrote around the turn of the century. Cause that term I believe mm. means like end of the century or end of the time or something. I got you. So I think, yeah. So I think that's how they meant it. But in a literary sense, I don't know. She definitely has some things in common with modernism. She's another one of those like on the, on the border authors where you can't look at it and say, it's not a little bit modern and you mm-hmm. can't, so it's not a little bit realistic either or has right. that kind of net realism to it. Mm-hmm. And so yeah, I just thought it made for an intriguing bit of study and bit of research. I'm not sure if I have some profound point on it other than to point out this literary movement might have some connections. I'm not sure if you see any. That's kind of tough because her subject matter isn't necessarily about art and she doesn't really mention right. any kind of art, but. that term immediately and and the explanation that you gave it immediately brought to mind um oscar wilde's fairy tales yeah okay and so um if i feel like that would be a perfect study of of decadence fair um, would be his fairy tales when i look at the definition once one more time you could probably make a very roundabout case for the bizarre being the way she wanted to sort of unearth these social truths about creole people or about people who are mixed race in that part of the world and how they, how that came to be and what that does to their social standing. I don't, Mm -hmm. that's not the bizarre though, to people in Louisiana for whom it was a deeply ingrained social construct. So I, I don't know. You'd almost have to look at it through the lens of other Americans or something to view it that way. And, and egocentricity, I wouldn't say is a predominant thing in her work either. It's a lot of, I don't know, fate is a more common idea or sort of fortune and how your fortunes can change. Yeah, the maybe the egocentricity in that a lot of the female characters are not allowed to have that aspect for themselves. Yeah. So I don't I don't think it slots in well, but this did lead me on a, a slight journey and into the idea of decadence. I I don't know. I maybe her New Orleans you could describe as decadent, sort of you know, it's people being hyper wealthy robbers, people have who have illegitimate wealth, perhaps, and they're mm. sort of blowing their money and being absurd and buying. You know, there's the one story that there's the um, story of the cause and effect of, you know, getting too much money and <laughs> becoming yeah. like taken away by it. So the, the wealth and money aspects of decadence could be you could make a case for that, I think. Perhaps. Maybe, yeah, but yeah, yeah. yeah it, di- it didn't strike me as when I was reading about the French poetic 
this thing that happened in French poetry, it, it didn't immediately strike me as the same thing. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I don't know. There was some weird overlap too. So there you go. Do a little penguin deep dive on a term again I cannot pronounce. Decadence <laughs> I can, but not the <laughs> fin de silce. Siècle? Siècle. There you go. Clay is the thing I'm, yeah, yeah. CLE at the end makes yeah. total sense. Yes. So there's that. Um, <laughs> let's jump now. To the review part, in two parts, the Russell French In Memoriam, So What's Good About It segment will be first. I will praise this first since I was more negative throughout, though hardly negative, I'd say. I think the yeah. thing I admired the most is just the plot twist. She's got it. She knows how to work it, and I feel very comfortable calling it a twist because there's basically no re- denouement or resolution after it is quick. It is like, yeah. I'm going to hit you with this with a paragraph remaining, to me, that's what makes it a twist versus just a well-organized plot development. The twist mm-hmm. has to be with no time to dwell or linger. It's like, here it is, goodbye. And I think she does that really well. It's, yeah, well-timed, well-realized. It's good. And it's still, like, I feel like a plot twist, too, still has to make sense when you go back to the story. Of course, of course. Yeah, and yeah. she does I that really agree. well. Yeah, she does yeah. a lot of foreshadowing and stuff. And then you're like, oh, man, I should have, wow, I should have seen that one yep. coming. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well-realized stuff there, for sure. How about for you? Uh, For me, I said that uh, my favorite aspect, I I loved everything, like, just love her. Um, Mm -hmm. But my my favorite thing was um, her ability to highlight the injustices to the marginalized in these stories in particular to for women, but also for um, people of color. She she really kind of pointed out some stuff about that and, and the perceptions there. And I just think that she did a wonderful job with with kind of showcasing that. Okay. Why don't you start our numerical ratings, though we're abandoning that. I forgot. Sorry. Right. Taking a stand. We're yep. going. We're simplifying as much as we can or abandoning an arbitrary number system. <laughs> yeah. We're going with a yes, maybe, no recommendation system for the final review. Amanda, why don't you start us off then? Yes. Read this. <laughs> do it. <laughs> Read this. Think, it is so great. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you could tell through the pod how I felt about this, but <laughs> I really enjoyed yeah, it. Yeah, no, I think so. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, I enjoyed the plot twist. It was great plot progression. It didn't seem really slow, except for maybe the um, Nej Creole one. Um, but yeah. even then, yeah. like, going back and thinking about it, it it's more thought-provoking, um, but it is a bit more muddled. But otherwise, they're all really great as far as their plot progression. Um, and also just full of, like, beautiful, really tight style where everything has a purpose in the writing which is how a short story should be you don't want to have a whole bunch of fluff in there that you have to kind of muddle through in order to get uh, a good characterization or good setting or good tone um, or even good plot and she does a great job with balancing all those aspects in something that's so short and concise yeah yeah i largely agree with everything as soon as you were saying that i don't know why it came to hit me so hard the other story I didn't connect well with her, I thought it had weird parts to it, was the one where at the end she learns about her father being, you know, having illegitimate wealth. What was that one called? McKenders. McKenders. We'll talk about why, because I don't want to spoil everything, but just remind me to talk about that after, because it had a weird incongruous part maybe you could explain. We'll save that for the post pod. Yeah. At any rate, I agree with many of the things you said. This was kind of... It reminded me a lot, of course, of Perkins Gilman in terms of concision, snappy mm-hmm. writing style, 
really quick hitting, effective description, you know, characters well realized without being overwhelming or too, she doesn't brood and dwell on things. And right. Yeah. But I, I still think a two just because, or for me, a two or a maybe, let's get into the proper recommendation system now. <laughs> I would say maybe read Chopin. I think, uh, yeah, it's tough because I, in the broad spectrum of American literature, I would put her up in the yes category just in terms of all, you know, famous American authors. But for some reason, a couple of these stories just didn't, they didn't fully have a punch for me. They felt kind of limp. I think it, I, mostly it was the setting and social stuff combined. It's just not a time period or a kind of social situation I'm that interested in reading about. And some of them were heavier on that than I remembered. But mm-hmm. then again, that, I think it's to her credit that she realizes that world pretty well and understood the social dynamics of that time period in Louisiana and New Orleans. So if that intrigues you in any way, then it's a yes. I think for me, it's a maybe, but no, it's it's great writing. It's um, just of a time and place. And I think that is that would help determine whether you should read this. So I'm going to stick with my maybe, but I'm glad one of us gave it the props. I, I really like studying <laughs> Chopin in college. Was, yeah, I remember reading her a lot and, and quite enjoyed a lot of it. Yeah, me too. We'll be back next week with another book review on, I believe it's a Charles Darwin bit, something about his travels. He was traveling on some kind of boat as Darwin was wont to do, just kind of travel the world looking at, staring at nature. <laughs> Thanks for all you did. Um, and so we'll be back with a review of that. I have read so little of his actual writing. He's such a legendary intellectual figure in the just history of the world, I guess. And mm-hmm. yeah, I've read excerpts from... His what's the landmark work on the origin of species? Yeah, origin, the, yeah. They, yeah, and so yeah, I've read snippets. I probably have a copy somewhere here, but this will be an interesting deep dive. As I'm curious to get back to his writing style. So until that time, we'll see you between the classics. Mm-hmm.